Well, good morning, church. I'm going to start you off with some pretty complicated questions that I'm going to have you help me answer. I need my scientists in the room to just rise up and be ready to speak out, all right? If you plant pumpkin seeds, what will you grow? I heard pumpkins and I heard something that was not pumpkins. All right, if you plant carrot seeds, what will you grow? Thank you. If you plant apple seeds, what will you grow? I know this is mind-bending truth right now. I mean, I just, I blew up the message too early. It's too complicated already. It's a simple concept, and we get it when it comes to farming, like what you plant is what you get. But in the aspects of how you live your life, the seeds that you plant by what you read, by what you watch, by your behaviors, by your attitudes, by your words, are seeds that you plant in your life and they grow into something. And if you're not convinced of it, wait till your kids are older teenagers and you will see the fruit of your life bared out before you. For those later teen years, only the bad fruit shows up, but the better stuff shows up later. Be encouraged by that. But you will see there is this planting of seeds and there is a time where it will come to fruition. And some of us are looking at the result of our life and we're saying, why is my life not bearing the fruit that I want it to bear? And I'd say it's probably because you haven't been playing in the, planting the right seeds and you've just been playing in the manure pile. Right? The seeds that you plant, they're going to grow into something. And so we need to just with honest eyes look at our life and say, what am I investing my energy and my time? What am I consuming? And what fruit is that going to bear in me given time? You know, the companion of fools suffers harm is what Proverbs say. Am I surrounding myself with the people that I want to be like and grow into? There's so many ways to look at it, but what seeds are you planting in your life? And this is what we've found. We plant seeds and God provides the increase. He, he, will, he will look at your effort of the small thing that you begin and he will grow it into something greater. So we want to look and say, okay, how, how is my prayer life? How is my spiritual life? How is what I know to be absolute truth shaping my week and my day? And then what is that going to grow into if I continue that pattern? And as we've been in the series, this is the last week of the Win the Day series. I hope it's been encouraging to you. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 18 if you have your Bible. This is a pretty familiar passage. It's one that, that encourages me so much and I like to teach on. Um, but I'm going to give you some context before we get there. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip to 1 Kings 18. We're going to start at verse 41. But the context coming in here, the prophet Elijah is, uh, he, he's, he prayed that there would be no rain. And this is a message that God gave to him because the people of Israel had gone far from God. And so God said, I'm gonna get your attention by stopping the rain. And as Elijah spoke it, there was no rain. And then God spoke to the prophet again and he said, go to the king and tell him to bring all the prophets of Asherah and Baal and bring them up to the mountaintop and there's gonna be this face off. And it was this incredible moment where there's two sacrifices, there's two bulls, and, and the prophets of Baal were going to choose one, they were going to cry out to their God, and they had to call down fire from heaven as a sign that their God was the true God. And the cool, one of the, my favorite 
parts of this passage is Elijah says, we're going to do this because the Lord is going to show Israel that he is God and that he is turning their hearts back to them. That was Elijah's prayer of why God was going to show up in this way. And, and as the prophets of Baal were trying to call down fire for their sacrifice, Elijah mocked them and said, you know, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe you need to cry out louder. And nothing happened. And then when it was time for his sacrifice, he restored the altar. They poured water all over the wood, all over the sacrifice, because he wanted to show this can only be God who does this. And then as he prayed, and specifically as he got to the point of the prayer where he said, you know, show them that you are turning their hearts back. Fire just fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. It licked up all of the water. It burnt it. And God showed he was who he was. He said he was. And then we come to this next moment where, where the people of Israel are turning back and it has been three years of drought. And then we, we see this interaction between Elijah and King Ahab. And King Ahab wasn't a good king. He was a king, you've heard the term Jezebel be ascribed to women who, who were doing things they, that they shouldn't. That is actually Ahab's wife. That's where that term comes from. And they had turned to worship of Baal and foreign gods that were destructive uh, of, their, of their culture, that pushed child sacrifice into the nation of Israel. It was a terrible, terrible time. And Elijah said to Ahab, the, the king who had not been following God, he said, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look to the seas, he said to his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant said, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. So Elisha shouted, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off. Now, as we get into looking at this passage, I want to I talk about the, the importance of expressing an expectant faith, that we should express an expectant faith, that there is power in the proclamation of what you believe, that when you talk about and the words actually leave your lips and your belief is not just held in your mind, there's actually power in that. It helps reaffirm the truth of what you believe. It helps create some, some accountability for the people around you. When you say what you believe about God and what you believe he is going to do, it changes the way that you live your faith out. And there's power in expressing that you expect God to act. And what you expect out of God really is a reflection about what you believe about God. Like there's so many people that they expect nothing of God. They don't expect him to do anything in their life because they believe that God just doesn't act that way anymore. That God doesn't care that way anymore. And their expectations are just based on their beliefs. This seems pretty, pretty easy, logical thinking, but you need to apply this to how are you relating to God? Are you expecting God to do a work in your life, in your family, in your school, in your workplace? Are you expecting God to show up in big and powerful ways? Are you expecting him to be distant like a long lost grandfather? Because the way that you relate to him is just based on your expectations of what he's going to do. I see this at play in the way that people often relate to dogs. Sorry for com comparing 
God to dogs, but I can't compare God to cats because cats are of the evil one, but dogs are a little bit closer, at least in my opinion. I know, I know. I got some amens in there. Um, I've told you guys before, my wife has a dog. I don't have a dog, but my wife has a dog. And it's been about 10 months um, since this happened. I don't think I've shared this from the pulpit, but now my wife has two dogs. Yes, at Christmas time, we can go ahead and show the first picture of my daughter Odessa and Ruby if the projection stuff is working. We got a picture of that? Yes. So there, that is Ruby. We got her for Christmas. She is a golden doodle. So she's been adventurous to train. She's, and she's much bigger than our first dog. Our first dog is like, you know, mini hamster. You can just pick him up with one hand. She, she's more than a handful. Like she, she's getting big. And in fact, go to the next picture. She's very helpful though. Um, there's a picture with Anthony and Ruby. It's, it's sometimes the projection stuff freezes up. There we go. You can see she's helping put Anthony to bed by sitting on top of him. But she is bigger than him now. So she, she's a very different dog. And it's been interesting to see as different friends come over, when they step into the house, she's still a puppy. And so she's smart and she's good and she's learning, but she still is jumping up some. And, and some of this has gotten better. But when someone comes into the house, you immediately learn about their background with dogs. Right? Because if they got bit by a dog early in life and she jumps up and she is as sweet as can be, they freak out, they run back, they get back because their expectation is what happened to me before is going to happen to me again. And so I want away from this. But you watch my five-year-old that he, she was sitting on. When she comes and starts to jump up on him, he hugs her. And so why is the five-year-old braver than the 30-year-old male? Well, it's just because their experience and their relationship and therefore their expectation. There are some people that you will invite to church and there will be a look of terror on their face because something significant happened in the past that harmed them at church. And so their thought about going back there is, whoa, I got hurt there before. It's not anything about your church. It's not anything about you, but it's something from their past and there's people that when you talk to them about God, the people who represented God, the people who brought a message about God into their life in their past may have harmed them. And so there's things that have to be healed before they can get their relationship right with God. And so what has your experience with God been like? Have you just lived your life kind of spaced out from him? Or have you lived your life in a way that your relationship is just it's talking with him on a daily basis. It's asking him to work. It's seeing his hand of provision. It's recognizing that he put the stars in their place, that every sunset, every cloud is by his design. And it's this beautiful portrait that he's given you as a gift that you can enjoy or you can move through things and just calling them natural circumstances. What has your relationship with God been like? Because that is building your expectation and then that is defining your prayer life. Because very few of us have the faith to pray like Elijah, who said, when I pray, the rain is going to stop. And then when I pray again, because God told me fire is going to fall from heaven. And then when I pray again, it's going to rain for the first time in years. To have that kind of faith, and it's because he had that kind of relationship with God, where he, he had heard from God, this is what's going to happen, and so he could proclaim it. But this is the interesting thing about the passage. In verse 41, he says, Elijah, go to Ahab, or Elisha said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink. 
Go have lunch, go have dinner, go enjoy yourself, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. He didn't hear a rainstorm coming. It's evident in the text. See what he did next? He says, I hear a rainstorm coming, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and he bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees and he prayed, what have I just said? I just told the king who, going back to the previous chapter, they were having the other prophets of God killed. Prophets of God were hiding in caves and in the wilderness because Jezebel was having them put to death and he just promised rain. But he didn't hear any rain with his ears, but his faith was screaming out to him, rain is on its way. There's this truth that when you walk closely with God, you're going to have times where it's like, you, you may not hear that it's coming with your ears, you may not see it with your eyes, but in your spirit, you know it's done, it's finished, it's going to happen. I still need to pray it out, I still need to walk it out, there are acts of obedience that I need to live up to on my end to honor God in the way that I live, but I know this is going to happen. And then Elijah, it was telling the king, hey, I hear a rain cloud coming, go get yourself some lunch real quick. But he also knew, I need to go up to the mountain and I need to pray this thing in. Because that was part of the calling that he was given. And it's interesting how God walked that out with him. I just want to, I want to note that as much as he had seen miracles done before, there is this recognition that like, it's, it's not necessarily a given if I do nothing. Like I need to go do something. I need to go pray at the mountaintop. He had seen God do miracles before, but there's this, this humility. And I think that, that like, like I said, the phys- physical expression of speaking out what you're believing, there's power in that. There's also power in putting yourself in positions of prayer. And I don't believe that it's spiritually, that, it, that, that it, it, it changes things as far as in the spirit of what's happening, but it helps your spirit get in the right place. Like there's not anything mystical or magical. Like it's, the passage says that he prayed and he got on his knees and he put his head he, between his knees as he prayed. He went all the way down to the ground. And it's not that, that, that that's like a spiritual magic trick, but there's something that it does to your pride. And I wonder, when was the last time that there was so, something so significant to your heart that you wanted it so bad that your pride was willing to break enough to, we said, to pray about this, like, I have to hit my knees, I have to hit the floor. Like, I want to show God, like, I am all in after this. And there, there's truth in this that God looks and he, he says, how much do you want this? Like how close is this to this to your heart? How far will you go after it? God could have answered this prayer on the first time that he sent the servant to look for a sign that, that a cloud was coming. He could have answered on the first time, but he, seven times, seven times he got sent back and forth. Go look for this. There's this truth that God says, okay, I want to do this in your life, but show me that you recognize this is going to come from me and me alone. This is not your strength. Pray this in for weeks. Pray this in for months. Pray, pray this in for years so that when it comes, you recognize this is from my hand. And God calls us to, to walk out obedience in it. And there's, there's this effort. God doesn't always answer things on the first time. He doesn't always answer things on the seventh time. 
Which is, which is why the second thing for this message I want you to see is we need to exercise patient persistence. We need to exercise patient persistence. And it will feel like a workout. When you really want something, when you really need something, and you're asking God for it, and he does not immediately answer it, you know, for the servant, I, I don't know how, like, how far around a mountain he had to run exactly, but I've gone up an, enough mountains in Colorado and Georgia to know that it will take it out of you. And there's got to be a sense of why have you sent me there five times? If God is going to do this, he's going to do this the easy way, isn't he? God doesn't always do things the easy way. In fact, God often calls us through the valleys on the way to the mountaintops. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff comfort me. I mean, the promises we have in Scripture are not avoidance of valleys, but presence and comfort through them. God will call you through difficulty on the way to the mountaintop that he has set in your heart that he's going to bring you to. But we need to exercise this patient persistence. And the word patient is important because, man, in the, in the Greek, whenever we see patience, the term is long-suffering. That is the word-for-word -word translation moving from the Greek that it was written in to the English that we speak. When we are told to be patient, we are told to be willing to suffer for a long time. And we need to have a persistence that I'm going to keep bringing this before God. And as Jesus was teaching about the widow who cried out for justice it, to a judge who didn't, care, who didn't fear God, didn't care about right and wrong, but he will eventually give that widow justice just because he wants to silence her. He doesn't want to hear it anymore. And how much more so will your heavenly father who is good in all things answer your prayers as you continue to bring them before him? We in our faith, there, there are things that deserve to be lifted up and bathed and covered in prayer, and we have neglected them because we have viewed God as someone who doesn't need my prayer, who doesn't want my prayer, and who isn't going to act. And you need to correct your view of God to say, I have a good heavenly father who knows how to give their children what they need when they need it. And I have an obligation to live my faith out in a way that I pray regularly. And the things that are close to my heart, the things that break my heart, I will be willing to break my pride and hit the ground to really go after God in prayer for those things. I'm not opposed to praying in the car while you drive. I think that that's a great method when you're squeezed for a time, but there is something incredibly value, something that that, that cannot you know, the split-minded prayer cannot take the place of the time where it is just you and just God in a place where there are no distractions and you can pour your heart out, your requests, and hear from him in prayer. And look, church, this isn't just a discipline. This is a provision. This is when you get to see God answer and do incredible things and he is still doing miracles in the church. He is still doing work in the church. God will show up and show off as you seek after him in your prayer life. I believe that he's gonna do work in the lives of people in our church, in our city. I believe that there are tremendous miracles ahead for this church. But I also believe that God works in response to his children's prayers. And when we start to ask and seek and knock, that's when he's gonna begin to open incredible doors. And so I believe that we need to begin to shift 
the way that we've been praying. And so in verse 43, he tells his servant, go look towards the sea. And he said to his servant and went up and looked, there's nothing there. He said, seven times, Elijah said, go back. And then on the seventh time, the servant said, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. So Elisha shouted. And I just wanna, I wanna pause there because we often will miss, like he shouted, like a cloud the size of a man's hand. Now, first of all, he already told King Ahab, who was married to a pretty bloodthirsty woman when it came to the prophets of God, like he could have easily gotten in trouble here. He already told him he could hear the rain. And and six times he was told, I see nothing. There is no sign of God being at work. But the seventh time, it was a sign that was not a very good sign. It was a sign that we often would have looked and said, that's not enough. Like, like we can't fill up a water bottle out of a cloud that's the size of a man's hand. It's not enough. But Elijah's faith interpreted what was happening, that this is just the beginning of what God had already promised that he's going to do. And so as he prayed huge prayers, it only took a small spark to say, God is setting the fire. And, and he, and he sh- like, I just love the fact that he shouted. He's like, go and tell, go, like it's happening, it's here. And, and that anticipation, it comes from experience. And, and I believe the people that I know who have the, the most depth to their prayer life, it's like they do see the smallest sign and they're like, here's the answer to the prayer. And I'm like, well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's a cloud the size of a man's hand. Like that, does that really look like it's enough? I mean, I'll dial this right into our story. The beginning of this year, someone who looked at our church and said, hey, I love what you guys do in feeding kids at Christmas time. Our church tries to, like we picked Diplomat Elementary School, it's close to us and we wanna make sure those kids don't go hungry over Christmas time and we put our energy and our focus there and they said, you know what? I'm gonna write you guys a check and I wanna see you buy land with it. Like, that sounds great. The check is for $10,000. Am I gonna buy a square inch in Lee County for $10,000? But I'll go look because I'm supposed to use it to buy land, but sure, we'll, we'll check. Something popped up that we hadn't seen before for $460,000 for 14 acres within a mile of here. The, the, sign, the sign wasn't good enough. The sign of it's time to buy land, that's not enough. But as we began to, to say, okay, what will God do with that? We found out that th- it might be enough to get us started. And we purchased that land in contract in May for $460,000. And as we sit here today, we owe $13,000 left. And I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna get to build on that land. We're gonna have a permanent location. We're gonna be able to expand ministries to all kinds of different areas that we're not able to do when we don't have a building. We're gonna see the kingdom of God grow here. And it all happened with a spark that was too small. But the people around me who had the depth of faith and prayer to say that might be something that God's doing, you need to pursue it. It showed me, man, my prayer was too small. My prayer wasn't, God, can you use this $10,000 to buy land? My prayer was, God, what are we supposed to use this $10,000 for? Because it obviously isn't for buying land. That's the faith of your pastor, I'm sorry. Like I catch up sometimes. The seventh time, 
saw this little cloud, and Elijah shouted, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go before the rain stops you. If you wait too long, God's blessing is going to get here and you won't be able to get there. You better go now. The expectation of the amount of rain wasn't that God is going to send a mist. It wasn't that God was going to send a sprinkle. The expectation of God's blessing was it's going to be more than what you can handle and you're going to want to be home before it arrives because it's going to fall fast. And in verse 45, the fruition of the vision and the belief, none of it was raining yet during that message. And meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off. Band, if you guys will make your way out here, I'm going to close this thing up. God's blessing isn't getting delayed by any earthly thing. Like there's nothing, there's no power on earth that can constrain God. But he is constantly trying to teach his church and his children about his faithfulness. He's constantly trying to teach us about what it means to walk in integrity, in obedience. And, and that blessing, man, it's just a moment away. And so many people, I believe, give up on the vision and the calling of God on the fifth or sixth trip around the mountain. When God has said, I want to see and man, I've, I've tried to live this principle out in so many ways. Early in our church, when I was throwing the A-frame signs every morning, trying to help people find this high school that's hidden back there, it'd be the morning before I'm supposed to preach and it is pouring down rain sideways. And I'm asking myself, do people really need these signs? Is a new person really going to be trying to find their way to church today? Does this really matter? And it's like there's this whisper in my ear, how bad do you want to reach people for Christ? How far will you go to see the vision I've given you come true? And time after time, I've tried to keep my hand at the work and say, God, I want this because what I want from you and what I believe from you is bigger than what I could do on my own. And if I want to see a huge vision come true, I have to be willing to pray big. I have to be willing to work big. I have to go after it time and time again because God says he's continually searching the earth. His eyes are searching the earth to find a heart that is fully his, that he might strengthen it. So church, where are you at with God today? I believe that if you're walking closely with him, there's this this expectation and anticipation that God wants to do big and tremendous things. But I think there's a requirement of, of this planting the right seeds in our life. And there's this interesting story from history. In 1946, there's a scientist, um, his last name's Schaefer, his first name's expa- escaping me right now, Vincent Schaefer. Uh, he didn't even graduate high school, but he won a Nobel Prize in 1932. In 1946, he had been working for months uh, on how to seed clouds to make it rain, or snow specifically. And in the laboratory at GE, he had a freezer set up to sub-zero temperatures and he'd go in and he, he, with his breath, he'd create a cloud and he'd experiment with different chemicals to try to make snow happen in those conditions. And then in 1946, he, he figured out that dry ice might cause the vapor to crystallize and fall and create this snow. And so in Texas in 1946, he flew a single prop airplane up into a cumulus cloud and released dry ice. And for 40 miles around, heads were turning in Texas as snow fell. 
And it's this interesting truth about how God created scientific laws and principles, but there's also this truth that as new as that method was to us, the method had been in scripture for a long time of seeding the clouds. That God looks for an act of obedience. He looks for a mentality of perseverance. And when you seed the clouds with that obedience, God will send the rain. God will send the blessing. And so, at the beginning of the service, I asked, what seeds are your life planting right now? How are you seeding the clouds? Because as you walk out in obedience, I know your heavenly Father wants to show up and show off in your life. Let's be a church that prays for miracles. Um, Before I close in prayer, I believe that we have an application for this today. Um, We have $13,000 more to pay off on our land. And believe me, like my heart is turned towards getting that done because we're not messing with mortgages until we have that land debt free. Um, But there's a principle that I believe even instigated us having that land, that it was our generosity towards schools and children, our generosity towards our community that gave us that land that God said, okay, I can entrust this to you. Because we could have just been scraping and saving every penny for our future, but that's not what we're called to do. And even as we approach the end of this, there's an opportunity within our congregation. Um, I, I wanna tell you, many of you guys have probably met Evie Harper. And if we can show the picture of the Harper family, um, I believe we have one of Jason Harper and the family. So this is Jason, Evie, and Lindsay Harper. They're part of our church. I actually, I mean, it's one of these random things that Jason was in full-time ministry for a long time. We went to the same Bible college. We knew each other in college. And then when he moved to be closer to family after there's some complications with their daughter, Evie, Evie has a very special condition that um, she has surpassed all expectations of what they thought she'd be able to do, but she still can't walk. She still can't communicate in, in the way that we do. And there's some special needs there. And so they moved to be closer to family. And he ended up at Gulfside some Sunday, which I was just like in shock, like, friend from college, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, we were just coming to church. And they've been planted here. And actually this summer, if we can go to the next picture, uh, I asked Jason if he'd speak one of the Sundays while I was gone with my family. And he brought the message if you were here for that. And literally when I was talking to him, um, I was starting to ask and he interrupted me. And he was like, whatever you need, I'll do. He's like, I don't care what it is. Whatever you need, I'll do. Like that has been their heart. He serves in the youth ministry. Like they, they are a part of this church. But Evie has grown to where she's about as big as Lindsay. Lindsay's not too big, but they're about equal size now. And Evie has developed her emotions and her opinions and her ability to express them by moving her limbs around. And she's usually in a wheelchair. And Lindsay can no longer get Evie in and out of cars. Like they need a van that is wheelchair accessible. And some people from our church that also work with him. They started a GoFundMe for their family, and it's raised over $40,000. There's a $20,000 match going right now that's going to help get them towards the goal. We as a church, from our our general giving, are going to make a donation towards that already. Like, we're going to go ahead and give $3,000 to help push them towards that. But if you have the capacity and the ability to just even give a small gift towards that, If you have the capacity to share that on social media, I mean, if we had a couple hundred people give $10, we would help push them towards that goal. 
And for me, as this opportunity arose, and I'm, you know, I have the logical, you know, Paul style of doing things like very frugal, like, no, we have to pay off $13,000 of debt. Like, we can't talk about anything at church other than doing that, paying off that debt, moving towards the vision, reaching more people. And it's like that question, okay, Paul, are you going to seed the clouds with generosity? Like, if you want to see that vision come to fruition, it's not going to come at the expense of caring for people. And I would rather push back building by years and care for our people in the right way than get into a building and comfort while leaving behind a family like the Harpers who need our help. And so in a moment for those watching online, I'll share a link for the GoFundMe page and you'll be able to find that link on our Facebook. It's on our website. If you go to the homepage, it's in the slides that automatically scroll on the front. And I don't ever want you to feel pressure about giving, but this is just always a responsiveness of, God, have you put us in a position where we can give a gift? God, can I sacrifice $10 to be one of the people who give towards this? God, can I sacrifice $100? Like whatever it is, whenever God puts something on your heart, we always want our response to be yes to him. And so as he moves in you that, in that, be praying for them. This is gonna be life-changing for them as they have the ability to make it to church, to make it to the places that they need to go. And we wanna bless this family that we love and hold so dearly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity to seed the clouds with the Harpers. And so as we're able, would you just show us what we need to do? If it's sharing the post and sharing the information, if it's giving, if it's whatever step we need to take, just, just make it firm in our heart and we will walk that out in obedience because we know that there's the re- just that reciprocity that happens, that when we are generous, you provide all of our needs. And so Father, we trust you in all things. And for each one of us in our prayer life, would you just help us to to know you better so that we can ask for the right things and ask for the big things because we know you want to do miracles like this in the life of your church. In Jesus' name.